John chapter 11, starting with verse 1, reading through verse 45. Hear now the very word of God. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her. Mary, she saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to the, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have left this witness to what Jesus did for Lazarus, and you've left it even for us so that we, like the disciples, may believe and that our faith may be strengthened. We ask that that would be the effect as we look at this passage today and consider the things that Jesus did and the way that he did them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to ask you a question. Is it all right to question God? Now, I'm sure many of you would immediately say the Sunday school answer. No, it's not right to question God. God is all wise. God is all powerful. He has wisdom and knowledge that we could never have. Of course, we can't question God. And that indeed might be the Sunday school answer. But in practice, I think we all have asked questions like, God, why? Or what are you doing, God? when we're faced with difficulties. It's very difficult in the face of a cancer diagnosis or the death of a spouse or a parent or a child to simply smile and say, God's will be done. Instead, it's understandable that one might, at least in their heart, question God's wills in those and in other difficult circumstances. And if you've ever asked questions like that, you have company with those in our passage today. The questions that come about in our passage work in a progression. They start asking God, does God know? And they advance to, does God care? And they culminate in, does God know what he's doing? And Jesus answers each of these questions in the affirmative. And in so doing, he reveals himself emphatically to be the Son of God. But the first question, let's begin there. Does God know? Now, our chapter opens with the announcement that a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, in John's Gospel, this is the first time that these three are mentioned, and this is the only place in Scripture where we encounter Lazarus. But John presumes that his audience would know who they were. And after the noteworthy miracle that's going to take place in this passage, the fame of these three might well have spread. And as far as Mary is concerned, John expects the audience to know her as the woman who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, which actually takes place in the next chapter of John's narrative. And Jesus at that time will say that she was anointing him for his burial. Now, you've been reading through the Gospel of Luke here, and Luke gives us some more 
insight into the dynamics between Mary and Martha in chapter 10. In that passage, Martha is doing the serving, apparently the cooking and cleaning and all of that stuff, while Mary, for her part, is just sitting at Jesus' feet listening. And Martha complains to Jesus, saying, can't you see that I'm working here? Make my sister help. Make Mary help. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you were troubled about a great many things when only one is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part. But really the most significant thing we can say about all three of these people is that Jesus loved them, and that's what we're told in verse 5. And because he loves them, when Lazarus falls ill, the presumption is that he would want, Jesus that is, would want to come to Lazarus. So Mary and Martha send messengers to him to tell him that the one he loves is ill. And as it turns out, Jesus does know something about it already. That's frequently the case in John's gospel. In chapter 1, Jesus amazes a skeptical Nathanael who says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, by declaring that he had seen that Nathanael sitting under a tree even before Philip called him. And we should know that as the Son of God, Jesus has no need to be told about anything. And the same applies here. He declares that Lazarus' illness is not under death, but rather for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, such talk would, I think, raise the expectation with the audience that Jesus is going to heal Lazarus as he healed so many others. But what he does instead, at least immediately, raises the next question, and that is, does God care? Jesus' initial response to the news that Lazarus' illness is puzzling, to say the least. On the heels of of John saying that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, we're told that the consequence of his love is that he remains where he is for an additional two days. Jesus loves them, so he does nothing. What sort of love is this? Does Jesus really care? And the disciples were probably somewhat confused by this as well, at least initially. Of course, being confused is nothing unusual for Jesus' disciples. And they have, however, come up with a paradigm to explain what Jesus is doing. And that's revealed when Jesus, two days later, says, let's go to Lazarus. And at that point, when Jesus says they should return to Judea, they, uh, they, they, uh, they balk. At the end of chapter 10, we're told that they are, they've go up, gone up where John had been baptizing, which is across the Jordan, and it's probably well to the northeast of Bethany and Jerusalem, as implied by the lengthy journey back. And this prospect of returning to Judea raises an alarm for the disciples. As they say, the Jews were just trying to stone you there, and now you want to return? And indeed, in chapter 10, they were trying to stone Jesus for saying, I and the Father are one. This in the eyes of the Jews, was a blasphemous claim of equality with God. And clearly, the disciples believed that Jesus' lack of response to the news that Lazarus was ill was driven 
by a concern for safety. But now Jesus wants to return, which in their eyes is reckless. And their concern heightens when Jesus declares that Lazarus is asleep and I go to awaken him. If he's asleep, they reason, he's going to wake up. We don't need to go there for that. And finally, Jesus tells them plainly that Lazarus is dead. And that Jesus is, and he is glad that they, that they delayed so that they might believe. But now, after his death, let's go to him. And clearly, perceiving danger, Thomas says, okay, let's go and die with him. You weren't concerned about safety. We don't really know what's going on, but we're going back someplace dangerous. We'll probably end up dead like Lazarus. It's clear that Jesus does care enough to take this risk to go back to Judea, but only after Lazarus has died, and the delay somehow is a consequence of his care. And when he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days, and there are many gathered to console Mary and Martha over the death of their brother. Jesus meets Martha, who runs to greet him outside the village, and then proceeds to see Mary, who is weeping along with those who are likely, at least in part, professional mourners who were brought in for the occasion. Jesus' response is that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he wept. At least, that's how our translation reads. And the weeping, well, the crowd takes it as evidence of his care for Lazarus. And truly, he did care and love Lazarus and his sisters, just as was explicitly stated. Now, the exact translation of this world that is yielded deeply moved in his spirit, well, it's not clear, but in the majority of its uses outside the Bible, because it only appears in the Bible twice, it implies anger. Not quite what we see here. And anger at what? Well, perhaps at the effects of sin that have made bodily death inevitable. Perhaps at the grieving that reflects no hope. Contrary to Martha's statement of faith that Lazarus will eventually rise in the last day. It's really actually kind of unclear what exactly John is trying to communicate regarding Jesus' response. It is clear that it communicated his love and care to, the audi- to that audience. The fact that Jesus cared about Lazarus is established. But knowing that he cared raises an even more troubling question. And that is, does God know what he's doing. Because by establishing his empathy, Jesus ends up raising questions about his competency. Following immediately on the heels, some in the crowd, noting Jesus' tears and love for Lazarus that they reflected, raised the question, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. And in that, they're talking about John chapter 9, where Jesus, in fact, did open the eyes of a man blind from birth, which was, up until this point, the greatest miracle to occur in John's gospel. And this is hardly the first questioning that Jesus gets for the way he's handled this situation. Certainly, we've already seen that the disciples question the entire decision to come back to Judea. And especially with the delay that 
doesn't seem to serve any purpose. And when Jesus arrives, the first thing Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And 11 verses later, when Mary sees him, the first thing out of her mouth was exactly the same. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And though tone is not always easy to infer, both of these statements by the sisters come off, at least to a degree, as accusations. The messengers who were sent to Jesus initially would have returned a full two days ahead of Jesus, and that delay in response would have been impossible to hide. And the sentiment of the crowd is similar upon seeing Jesus weep. They again respond to the expression of care, saying, could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? It seems that no one is pleased with how Jesus handled this situation up until this point. They're openly questioning him. So does Jesus know what he's doing? The answer is, of course, an emphatic yes. First of all, to consider the basis of the statements, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They seem to have a they seem to point to if Jesus had come immediately when the messengers came to him, he would have been able to save Lazarus somehow. Now, for those of you who are quick with math, you can see that Jesus delayed two days, but that Lazarus was in the tomb four days when he arrived. By that count, Lazarus would have been dead two days instead of four had Jesus not delayed, which seems like pretty much the same result, does it not? And yet, in the eyes of this audience, it wasn't the same result. Now, you're probably aware, especially from reading through Luke's gospel, that Lazarus was not Jesus' first resurrection, even though it's the only one that John records. In Luke's gospel, in chapters 7 and 8, Jesus raises the son of a widow at his funeral and Jairus' daughter in succeeding chapters. But both of them were only dead a short time, probably just a few hours in the case of Jairus' daughter. And there was a rabbinic belief that the soul hovered around the body for three days after death, before decomposition set in. Which means that, while still very significant, of course, those previous resurrections were in some sense, at least in the eyes of this audience, easier, both to accomplish and to comprehend. And at four days in the tomb, Lazarus would have been considered to be beyond resuscitation, even for Jesus. So by the time Jesus arrives, there's nothing more to be done. And you can see that while they have faith, there are limits to that faith. Martha is saying all the right things in response to Jesus' questions when he says that he's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She says yes and correctly identifies him as the Son of God. However, when Jesus asks her to op- ask for the tomb to be open, it's Martha who objects. 
saying that there will be an odor. That is, that decomposition will have already set in. Now, this is a practical consideration for a woman who's been shown to be nothing if not practical. Martha sees who Jesus is, but her concept of what it means for him to be the Son of God is limited. And Jesus is about to expand hers and everyone's idea of what that means. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And initially, that the Son of God might be glorified, that was his stated purpose to the disciples. And Jesus prays here for the benefit of the surrounding crowd that they may believe you sent me. And then loudly calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And Lazarus, still bound in grave clothes, which actually would have weighed a significant amount because of the spices that are used to prepare the dead body, and still with a head covering on, probably more or less hops out of the tomb, probably reeking of decomposition. And Jesus says, cut him loose. And it's very clear that he is very much alive. It's a miracle beyond what the audience could have conceived as possible, even for Jesus. And it clearly shows that Jesus knew very much what he was doing. And the result is a happy one for Mary and for Martha, and of course, for Lazarus. And how it came about answered every question put to Jesus. And there's a number of things for us to learn here as well. Let's look briefly at the lessons and the answers that Jesus gives. Because I think we can all relate to the sort of questions that are being placed, being put to Jesus in this passage. They're the sort of questions that we are prone to ask ourselves when we're faced with difficult circumstances. When nothing seems to be happening, often in spite of fervent prayer, it can seem natural and right to question whether God is hearing us, whether he cares, or whether or not his plan for us is actually a good one. In the face of Jesus' inaction, looking into urgent and dire circumstances, he was asked these very sorts of questions. And of course, in the end, everyone was pleased with the result, and we are told that many believed because of this miracle. In fact, so many believed because of this miracle, the Jews would, shortly after this, plot to try and kill Lazarus again, because the testimony to Christ was that, uh, who Christ that his ongoing life provided. Now, that strikes me as a particularly dumb plan. Uh, Jesus is able to raise him once. It would stand to reason that if they killed him, he'd be able to raise him again. But nonetheless, that was the Jews' response to the widespread adoption of faith in Christ due to Lazarus. Pretty hard to argue that he was in fact dead. He was in the tomb for four days. Pretty hard to argue that he is now alive because he's walking around. There's not really much that can be said to a miracle like that. And it's the belief that so many adopted that is at the crux of what Jesus did and how he did it. 
He deliberately raised the stakes beyond what Mary and Martha and everyone else thought was possible and then saved Lazarus' life. All to prove that he is indeed the resurrection and the life for all who believe in him. Now, we may not see God solve our issues as dramatically and as neatly as he does here. And to that, let me make an observation. Lazarus died. When you say, well, that's the point of the passage, isn't it? Lazarus died, and then he was raised from the dead. No, what I mean is, Lazarus is not here today. Nor is Mary, nor is Martha. And as such, this relief from earthly death, as miraculous as it was, was only temporary. And it cannot be viewed as the primary focus of this passage. And there are those who supposedly represent Christ who focus on earthly miracles and take a passage like this as an implicit promise that God's going to give you a miracle today. That's actually a betrayal of a passage like this. Instead, it may be that you're going to face great difficulties in this life which never seem to get better. Because the focus of this miracle is not the good done to Lazarus, but it's quite clearly Christ's identity as the unique Son of God and the resurrection and the life to all who believe in him. And as such, he promises far more than temporary relief from our difficult earthly circumstances. Instead, he promises a resurrection life that transcends all earthly circumstances and even sin itself. It is quite literally permanent deliverance from the curse of Adam. And it's far more valuable than our health or our wealth here on earth. You can know with certainty that Jesus is able to secure for you that life, that deliverance. Lazarus, though he is not here with us today, is proof of that. And because of that, we know with certainty that even in the midst of adversity, God knows your suffering. He cares. And he is carrying out a wonderful, heavenly plan for your life as you believe in him. Let us pray. Lord God, we are grateful for your healing of Lazarus, not just for what it meant to Lazarus and to Martha and to Mary, but what it means to us and what it reveals about you, that you indeed are that Savior who is able to even deliver us from our sin and from ourselves and bring us spotless to God through your righteousness. We thank you for this and for this testimony to that fact. And we ask that you would strengthen our belief in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.